Support for this broadcast of Two Rivers 30 Minutes comes in part from a grant from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. From TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the executive director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Pittsburgh has long been known as the city of bridges. We we always talk about uh, you have to cross a river to get there, but it's a, a bridge can be both a literal thing that you use across a river or a valley, and also a metaphorical thing as well. Pittsburgh is also a city that is extremely musical, with an extremely high number of. Uh, well-known musicians from Errol Gardner to Ahmad Jamal who, who have come through the city. There is a new exhibit which is wrapping up just a couple of days from now, which has been exploring these connections and how you can be a part of them. It is called Violins of Hope. The chair of Violins of Hope is on the line with us this morning. She is Sandy Rosen. Good morning, Sandy. Good morning. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, I'm happy uh, that you are as well. Uh, there are there, there has been an exhibit uh, up through, since I think... Um, uh, October, early October at the October Posner the Center. October the 7th was yeah. the day, the formal opening. Uh, but there are a couple of concerts coming up as well. First of all, what are the Violins of Hope? What, what are these violins? These are violins that were played by uh, people during World War II, whether they were in ghettos or concentration camps or actually fi- uh, hiding out in the forests as partisans. They were... Um, a an inherent part of Jewish life during the 30s and 40s and before. They said you could count the number of boys in a Jewish family by the number of violins that were hanging on the wall in the home. Um, and they were used throughout the war as a form of survival, a form of resistance, a, uh, a form of emotional and mental escape from situations that were so untenable that it's impossible to imagine. Let, let's clarify, because these, these violins were, were owned by Jewish families uh, who, in, in Europe and in Germany who were being persecuted by the Nazis. So let's, let's make sure that people understand that. Um, where, where did these violins go? Why, why were they separated from their owners? Well, many of the owners died. Um, some of them actually were able to survive the war and get to safe places, Australia, South America, the United States, Israel. And it wasn't until the late 1990s when a man by the name of Amnon Weinstein understood the treasure that he had in his workshop. Amnon was the son of uh, Moshe Weinstein, who in the 30s was the only member of his family who thought that it might be a good idea to leave Europe. He went and he trained with another uh, Jewish luthier or violin maker in Warsaw, Poland for two years. And then he and his wife uh, traveled to what was then the the, uh, British mandate colony of Palestine, where the uh, Palestine 
Philharmonic Orchestra was being formed by Bronislav Huberman and Albert Einstein. He assumed, Moshe that is, assumed that wherever there were orchestras, there would be a need for a violin maker. Sure. Uh, And it was really profound because at that time in history, people had very large families. (laughs) Moshe and his wife lost every member of their families. 400 people perished. They were the only ones to survive. Amnon is their only son, and Amnon has uh, their only grandson, Avshi. And Amnon and Avshi are also violin makers, second and third generation. When the uh, first refugees were coming to Palestine in the in the 40s, those who had German-made instruments came to the Weinstein workshop wanting them to be purchased. They never wanted to really touch or play anything that was German-made again. Sure. And Moshe Weinstein was um, magnanimous enough and wanted to help them to resettle. So knowing that he was never going to be able to sell these instruments, he purchased them. And they, they languished in the back of the Weinstein workshop until the late 90s. And that was when Amnon um, first had a customer come in asking that a violin be restored. And when Amnon opened that violin, what he found in there just startled him into thinking. Uh, he thought what he was looking at were black ashes from the crematoria. Oh my. And so he, re- yeah, he restored that violin. And um, sometime later, after looking at the violins in his workshop, he was speaking in Dresden at a violin and bowmakers conference. And people convinced him to start looking for other violins and to find the stories of the people that those violins are associated with. He, uh, Got on a radio just like this mm-hmm. when he got back to when he got back to Tel Aviv, and he made that request, and violins started to arrive. One, two. By two thousand and eight, I believe there were a thousand, uh, a dozen, and they had their first concert with the Israel Philharmonic Orchestra in two thousand and eight, um, and they've been traveling around the world. They were in Phoenix in the. Winter of 2019, I was a docent in mm-hmm. Phoenix at that time. Okay. Two more families came forth. With violins. With violins. One family outright donated it to the Weinstein mm-hmm. Violins of Hope Project. And the other family permanently lent it, but they couldn't let it go. So that violin is traveling with the exhibit but it's on loan. I believe I read somewhere that this has this exhibit of Violins of Hope has now been to something like 400 different locations. Does that sound right? I wouldn't doubt that. Okay. I wouldn't I wouldn't quantify that by saying that they had been to 400 different cities. Right. I think it's yeah, different locations within cities, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, we have we have been all over the place from State College to Wheeling, West Virginia with m- multiple concerts, every single one different. Um, sometimes young people are playing, sometimes professionals, sometimes amateurs. So they, they have they have opened people's hearts. 
um, and enabled us to tell wonderful stories. We're, we're talking with Sandy Rose, and she's chair of Violins of Hope of Greater Pittsburgh. Uh, you have a few more days, if you're hearing this uh, on the radio stations, you have a few more days to see the exhibit. It's open through Tuesday afternoon at the Posner Center at Carnegie Mellon University. But uh, there are also a couple of other events coming up. There is a concert with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra coming up on November 25th. That's Saturday at 7.30 at Heinz Hall. Uh, Manfred Honick will be conducting uh, Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E minor, as well as other works, and tickets for that are available from pittsburghsymphony.org. There's also a photography exhibit at the JCC in Squirrel Hill, uh, 5738 Forbes Avenue. Uh, that goes through December 8th, and those are photographs of some of the violins of hope and also uh, some of the techniques that were used to save these violins that were played by people who were victims of the Holocaust. How many violins are we talking about altogether? Today there are 102. Okay. Uh, so it's it's pretty dramatic because... As people hear about the project, they come forth with their stories and their violins. Are, are these are there local stories, the Pittsburgh stories? Are they being collected and, and preserved anywhere for, for future people to, to? We do have some interesting connections. You mentioned the concert that's coming up on November 25th at Heinz Hall. The guest artist is Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell plays a uh, Stradivarius violin that belonged to Bronislav Huberman. And uh, Bronislav Huberman and Albert Einstein were responsible for saving a thousand people in Huberman's effort to um, save Jewish musicians and create the Palestine Symphony Orchestra. And Joshua Bell bought that violin. And he will be playing that at the concluding concert of Violence of Hope, which I just think is such a magical story. And to make it even more magical, the rehearsal conductor for that first symphony in Palestine was none other than the beloved William Steinberg, who, as he became an accomplished conductor, led our Pittsburgh Symphony, symphony for 20 Orchestra. years. Sure so that's, that's a beautiful story. And, and made some of the most significant recordings uh, of the Pittsburgh Symphony uh, in history. We have to take a 30-second break. When we come back, I want to talk about the meaning of hope and why these are the Violins of Hope. I want to talk also about some of the school outreach that Violins of Hope has done in the greater Pittsburgh area because I know there's been a lot of involvement uh, from different school groups. And I want to talk about the importance of, of the, the cultural connections of music uh, into uh, Jewish heritage and Jewish faith, okay? Okay. Uh, we're talking with Sandy Rosen. She's chair of Islands of Hope of Greater Pittsburgh you have, uh, until Tuesday to see the exhibit that's on display at the Posner Center at Carnegie Mellon University. But there's also a concert coming up November 25th. That's this Saturday at Heinz Hall with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra. And there is an exhibit of photographs at the JCC now through December 8th. You can find out more about any of those by going to violinsofhopepittsburgh.com. From the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Support for this broadcast comes from Striffler's Family Funeral Homes. Since 1866, Striffler's has provided compassionate professional memorial services for families in White Oak, McKeesport, Dravosburg, Portview, and the surrounding areas. Striffler's offers comprehensive pre-planning services and aftercare. And through its affiliated company, Design Monuments, Striffler's also provides permanent markers and memorials 
crafted in stone, bronze, and other high-quality materials. Learn more at strifflers.com or call 412-678-6191. We're talking this morning with Sandy Rosen from Violins of Hope of Greater Pittsburgh. As we are recording this and as people are hearing it on a Sunday, it is World Kindness Day. Tell us about World Kindness Day and the significance of that. Okay, well, it's it's kind of not really World Kindness Day. November 13th is World Kindness okay. Day, but that was a Monday. Okay. So we're, we're celebrating it uh, on today at Heinz Hall with the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra and the Junior Mendelssohn Choir. What could be better than to celebrate kindness with young people? And what time is today's concert? Well, there are, there are several events. There is one that begins at 3 p.m. Uh, on the lower level of Heinz Hall and goes until 5. The uh, Brighton Music Store is bringing what they call a petting zoo, which is a zoo of instruments. So children who may not have had an opportunity to explore what music is all about or what the different instruments feel like or sound like are invited to uh, come in and visit the petting zoo. At 7 p.m., the uh, concert begins with uh, the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra and the Junior Mendelssohn Choir. But before that, on display all afternoon and through the evening will be about 160 instruments. We uh, partnered with the Calvary Episcopal Church and with WPXI TV, who allowed us to use their parking lots on three separate occasions. And we asked for donations of unused instruments and people went into their basements, they went into their attics and they brought us 160 instruments. Thankfully, the Farina Foundation, which has been in operation for some time here in Pittsburgh, is avidly um, underwriting the cost to restore these instruments and to distribute them to area youth who may not otherwise have an opportunity to experience the joy and um, character building acuity building that music provides. Uh, They will be on display on December 2nd and 3rd. The Farina Foundation will distribute them to organizations that have been identified that can make optimum use of these instruments. And we are just so, so delighted. Uh, We're talking with Sandy Rosen from Violins of uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, She's talking about uh, the event that's happening uh, this afternoon, if you're hearing this on Sunday on our uh, radio uh, stations uh, at Heinz Hall with the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra, the Mendelssohn Choir, and a lot of other It's free also, I forgot to mention. Also, it's free. So that's also good news. Um, But of course, also concert coming up on November 25th with the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra and the photo exhibit that's now through December 8th at the JCC in Squirrel Hill. What what is the significance of, we, we alluded to this uh, at the beginning of the program, but my friends will know that I am a huge Jack Benny fan. And Jack Benny always, he was always seen with his with his violin. He was actually a very good violinist, but he played it for com- comedic effect. Um, so many of our great uh, classically trained violinists 
have been Jewish. Uh, Yasha Heifetz, uh, Itzhak Perlman. Um, yeah, you, you mentioned Joshua Bell, who's going to be uh, performing with the, with the Pittsburgh Symphony. Isaac Stern. I mean, it's I could go on for a long time. Just name, Fritz Chrysler, for whom the Chrysler exercises are, are named. What, what is the connection? When did when did the violin become such a part of a strong part of Jewish culture? Do you know? Before television, before yeah. radio, music was always an important piece of this social fabric of Jewish culture. And even those um, people who didn't have training Mm -hmm. would pick up a violin, much like uh, many people do today with a guitar. And they would, uh, klezmer music Mm -hmm. came out of Europe and and the Mediterranean as the early form of what was Jewish jazz. And there was a, there was a, um, combination of klezmer with American jazz, where that really began out of New Orleans. Louis Armstrong was a child living in New Orleans in a ghetto type neighborhood, ghetto in America, very different than ghetto in Europe. Mm-hmm. But he was living next door to the Karnofsky family. Uh, Louis Armstrong was living with his grandmother. The Karnofskys were peddlers and uh, Louis would work for them. He was six, seven, eight years old, and he would he would jump down from the wagon and deliver whatever the goods were. One day, he and Mr. Karnofsky were driving by a pawn shop, and in the window was a coronet for $5. And Mr. Karnofsky advanced the $5 to Louis, who bought it. Um, and the rest is history, as he became the great <laughs> Satchmo. And in his adult life, you could often see Louis Armstrong with his shirt open wearing a Star of David as a tribute to the Karnofskys who had him in their home all the time for dinner, who helped him buy that first instrument and who were his friends. Violinsofhopepittsburgh.com is the website where you can get more information. Uh, the exhibit continues at the Posner Center at Carnegie Mellon University through Tuesday, November 21st. Concert at the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra at Heinz Hall with Joshua Bell uh, being conducted by Manfred Honick. That is November 25th, and there is a photo exhibit at the JCC now through December 8th. The time goes quickly. I, I want to ask you about some of the school groups uh, that that you and Violins of Hope Pittsburgh have worked with. But I want to ask you a, a personal question. You were a docent at this exhibit in Phoenix. You were part of the group that was instrumental in bringing, no pun intended, in bringing this to Pittsburgh. What has this meant to you? Why did this resonate with you so strongly? I think it's a story that has to be told. I don't know about your listeners, but when I was a 10th grader, the last thing in my mind that I thought was fun was studying history, but history really is uh, something that informs the present. And I, I wanted to bring this to Pittsburgh right after the tragedy at the tree of life. Um, I see the rhetoric in this nation just getting more and more inflamed. Families don't talk to each other. Friends are no longer friends. And I'm hopeful that, at least for those who have heard the story, who have come to the exhibit, that they will begin to think in a more uh, middle-of-the-line kind of way, that everybody will realize that if I'm not safe, you're not safe, and if you're not safe, no one is safe. Six million Jews were killed in the Holocaust, but between 70 and 85 million people perished during World War II, and they were all something else. Yeah. So 
it just underscores the dangerous place that we might be in if we don't ratchet it down. Hate begets hate, and it just it starts one place, and then it just spreads like a like a virus. Let's pause right there and take our next break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit more about that, but let's also talk about the students and school groups uh, that Violins of Hope Pittsburgh has worked with, okay? Okay. Uh, Sandy Rosen is with us. She is chair of Violins of Hope of Greater Pittsburgh. Violinsofhopepittsburgh.com is the website where you can get more information. You can see some of the photos. Uh, you have until November 21st to see the exhibit that is at the Posner Center at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, there is a free concert this afternoon at Heinz Hall. Uh, starting at 3 o'clock, events begin with the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. This is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, and we'll be back in 30 seconds to wrap things up. Support for this broadcast comes from the City of McKeesport Fair Housing Office. Fair housing is your right, and the Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination in housing because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, gender identity, sexual orientation, family status, or disability. That includes renting or buying a home, getting a mortgage, seeking housing assistance, or engaging in other housing-related activities. For more information about Fair Housing Act protections in the city of McKeesport, call 412-675-5020, extension 635. Back for a final few minutes with Sandy Rosen from Violins of Hope Pittsburgh. You can find the website, violinsofhopepittsburgh.com, where you can participate and see some of the upcoming events now through December. 8th. Sandy, you've gotten a lot of help on this. Who are some of the people who have been helping uh, bring this exhibit to Pittsburgh? Well, you're right. We have had a lot of help, but I I would not have wanted to be on this journey without my co-chair, Pat Seiger, and our project manager, Lynn Zielinski. Um, We have been all over the city. We have worked well together and um, it, it's just been a wonderful collaboration. We talked before this, the second break there, we talked a little bit about what has really been an alarming rise in anti-Semitic uh, remarks and sentiments. Uh, social media uh, seems to have inflamed a, a lot of these things, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, so forth. Um, we have some very hurtful things that really do echo uh, things that were being said 100 years ago, uh, 80 years ago. Um, Surprising, I think, a lot of us. Uh, you've done a lot of work with school groups coming in. What is your hope in, in terms of this exhibit and the stories that are being told by this exhibit? What is your hope in, in terms of, w- w- do you think this will reach people, this will open their hearts and minds a little bit? I, I think that it will make an impact. We have had either two or three school groups in the exhibit visiting every single school day since November 9th. Uh, October 9th, I'm sorry. Um, And we have gone into schools and had a variety of school programs. So we've we've touched thousands of children and in different ways. And they have been very attentive. They have been very interested. Um, Many of these children had never even met a Jewish person. And so it was interesting to ask that question and to, to see that nobody in group A or group B had in fact had that opportunity. Our our volunteer force is very strong. There are about uh, 70 people who just showed up and wanted to be part of this. They are Jewish and Christians. We have um, uh, a wonderful cadre of, of docents who have traveled into the schools who are 
either um, non, non-Jewish or Jewish. And so the message is resonating with lots of people and in lots of important ways. And the children are very receptive to the stories that they're hearing. They're compelling stories. Well, There's for- one story about a 12-year-old boy, for example, who was able all by himself to, um, to really bring down a whole group of Nazi military. For these students who are grades 6 through 12 or and university students, because I've read some of the stories that they have posted on their school websites and, and on their personal social media, are, before they come to the exhibit, are they familiar with the Holocaust? Do they know very much? You, as you mentioned, when you were in 10th grade, you weren't too interested in, in learning history necessarily. Do, do they know much before they visit the exhibit? The, the primary targets have been the grades that are already studying or have just recently studied some element of the Holocaust. Where school teachers have requested, we've sent them some preliminary materials that they could use in the classroom to share with their students and then to bring them with at least some basic understanding, certainly of terms and of what happened. Um, And and I, I think the big message is that this could not have happened without a really successful and insidious propaganda campaign. And um, all of us are so vulnerable today because we have such extremes in media, television, radio, news, and social media as well. And so our message to everyone is to uh, take a look at Google and find out where the places where you're focusing attention um, form on a media bias chart and try to get yourself to the center because the extremes can pull you into very dark places. The the other thing that strikes me is to to read about something in a history book or to watch a, a video or an old newsreel or something, that can seem very distant, but to actually be in the presence of an artifact that was touched by someone who maybe died in the Holocaust um, or had a, or was preserved by someone who had a relative that, that died. Uh, that's got to be profoundly moving to have the actual physical artifact in your presence. For them to be able to touch these instruments themselves, yeah. for those who are able to play, to actually play them in school concerts and in, in uh, you know, professional yeah. concerts around, around the tri-state is very profound. So, Giving me goosebumps a little bit. Yeah. Somebody at CMU said to me, a student at CMU uh, who played in the CMU Philharmonic Orchestra a couple of weeks ago said, just to know how many people, the story of the person whose violin this was and how many people have touched it, telling that person's story. Because through these violins, those people continue to be alive. I was just about to say, are there, is there a lot of tears when people go through the exhibit? There are lots of tears. There are lots of tears. But it's the violins of hope. And, and what is the hope that, that you feel and that you see and that the other people on the committee have, have felt and seen? The hope is that the message gets across and that we all start to think a little bit differently, a little, a little more lovingly, a little more gently, with an understanding that if you bully a kid in the playground, that kid is probably going to hate you. And you don't know what the scars you're imposing on that kid are going to result in when that child gets older and can buy a gun 
can get marginalized into a hate group, you just don't know. So when you see a kid on the edge of the playground, go get them and invite them to come and be part of you. Yeah. Uh, and we, we do that too as adults, We more subtly, but we do it. And we have to learn to stop doing it. If you're hearing this on Sunday morning uh, on the radio at 3 o'clock today at Heinz Hall, uh, there is an event with the Pittsburgh Youth Symphony Orchestra and the Mendelssohn Choir of Pittsburgh. It is free. It's part of the Violins of Hope uh, exhibit. You also have through December 8th to see the photographs by Daniel uh, Levin at the JCC. Um, they are photographs of 43 different photographs documenting the work of uh, Ammon Weinstein to preserve the Violins of Hope. You have until this coming Tuesday to see the exhibit at the Posner Center at Carnegie Mellon University. And of course, on November 25th, uh, Joshua Bell, violinist uh, playing a Stradivarius, one of the violins of hope, will join Manfred Honick and the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra at Heinz Hall to play Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto in E minor and several other works. That's at 7.30. Uh, tickets are available through pittsburghsymphony.org. Sandy Rosen has been our guest. She is chair of Violins of Hope Pittsburgh. You can check out the website at violenceofhopepittsburgh.com. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us. Likewise. Thank you. And thank you all for listening this week to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, McKeesport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.